Hey, welcome to episode 38 of No Guitar Is Safe. Today on the show is Owen Berry, who I really wanted to bring to you for three reasons, and uh, maybe four reasons. Number one, he's a fantastic guitar player. Before we even got the mic set up, he was just playing this, this beautiful slide stuff, and I had to turn on the recorder. him playing through his metropolis head in a bogner cabinet and his pedal board the second reason i wanted him on is is because owen is just so great with gear he builds his own guitars he brought in three guitars two strats which are just like basically custom built bumper to bumper by owen you know he's so meticulous he cares about every little screw pickup wire resistor everything he's really into it Damn, I love the way that sounds. Anyhow, the third reason I wanted to bring him in, and maybe you saw him out here on this foray that I'm about to describe to you, but yes, for the last several months or whatever, he's opened several arena shows for The Who. Owen is playing guitar for Tal Wilkenfeld, and uh, Tal got tapped to open The Who Tour, which is extremely cool. So of course, you know, I'm going to ask him about that. And then there turned into a fourth reason why I wanted him, and I didn't expect this, but the fourth reason is that Owen surprises me and you, I would assume, by bringing in a Dumble. We play through this Dumble Overdrive special in the last four minutes and 17 seconds of this episode. But yeah, he brought in a Dumble, and if you know your amps, that's unobtainium. That's a holy grail amp. That's like, you know bringing a unicorn to a pony ride people trip out when dumbbells show up i mean these amps are going for 20 30 40 50 grand and people like carlos santana are scooping them up here's a little sample of the last four minutes and 17 seconds of this podcast yeah that's the dumbbell before we get started, please, please go to guitarplayer.com slash NGIS and extend your subscription or get a full year brand new subscription to Guitar Player Magazine for just $5. That's just for you guys. That's why it's NGIS as in no guitar is safe. Just go to guitarplayer.com slash NGIS. I do put up a lot of videos and photos and such from these interviews on the No Guitar is Safe Facebook page. And also on my Twitter, which is at Jude underscore gold. And even on Instagram, same thing, Jude underscore gold. That's me. Hi, thanks for listening. And I have heard from a bunch of you who have extended your subscription or subscribed up for that $5 special. And I really appreciate it. It helps the podcast. Apparently reviews help too. So review on iTunes. And most of all, 
this podcast is spreading really, really well by word of mouth. I appreciate it every time you guys share a post or, or you uh, mention it to your friends. Another thing about Owen Berry is he had this great band called Purple Melon. Check this out. Good stuff. You can find them on iTunes or Spotify, etc. Purple Melon. So let's go meet up with Owen Berry at Cascade, which is a cool rehearsal spot on Santa Monica Boulevard over in Hollywood. Thanks to Stevie at Cascade. He took great care of us that day. It was kind of early in the morning. Well, it was like noon. <laughs> Musician early. But we wanted to get there early-ish to uh, avoid all the other bands. At one point... A band does come in, and if you, your ears are on, if, you got, if you're really paying attention, you might hear a little rumble through the wall, but it's very minimal. But that's how we roll on this show. As you know, we go to real locations and make real recordings in the real world to talk with real guitar players. I will be plugged into a little Mesa rectifier, mini rectifier, like 20-watt head, you know, just going through like a Marshall 4x12. I brought a couple pedals. Owen, as I mentioned, is plugged into his Metropolis, is plugged into his Metropolis head in a Bogner cabinet. All right, let's rev it up and fly across town. I had to do a voiceover, voiceover thing the other day. You did a voiceover. Yeah, I've done a few voiceover things while I've been there. Sounds like you live in L.A. Wait, you do live in L.A. I do live in L.A. So uh, what was your voiceover for? Um, it's for a uh, some sort of informative infomercial, is what you call ah. them out here. And it was they needed someone who sounded like a, uh, they needed like a wise old owl. They had to be English. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, you got to milk that British accent, my yeah. friend. That's so great. I basically just did like a my best sort of Roger Moore interpretation you know yeah you know speaking of that beautiful slide stuff of course i gotta ask you about some stuff you're doing that cool little uh that little uh sleepwalk trick with the harmonic but you took it to the moon would you want to show us your uh little slide harmonic there uh so it's just like you know how you get like a regular sort of pinched Harmon, you know how you regularly do a pinch harmonic. Yeah, those. Are, well, I, I would call those octave harmonics. Or you know, oh, is mean? that like, how they? Oh yeah, I guess the, yeah. The pinch harmonics with a pick, right? Right, that's right. Yeah. See, I'm showing my. You're, you're touching the string with your index finger, twelve frets higher, and then plucking with your. Uh, is that called harping? Is that yeah, kind of like a harp harmonic, yeah. totally. So that's my lack of guitar education. No, there. no, no, no. I'm just, the pinched harmonic is the. The Billy Gibbons. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I guess I'm just doing like a harped harmonic, an octave above. But then just doing yeah. it, well, you know, on the um, an octave above where the slide is. Yeah. So you get a different sound to the... So you, so you, get, the, so you get both octaves at the same time. So right. you get the low octave and the high octave. Yeah, it's kind of cool. 
And you took that like off the fretboard, I think. It's like <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the cool it's, thing about the sliders. It's basically just like a movable fret and you can just take it wherever yeah. you want. Now you took it, I mean, what to say that you took it all the way off the neck up above, like all yeah. the way the neck pickup or something. Yeah. And like with, you know, some sort of long reverb on it, sort of keeps everything going. Yeah. So I guess, and you know, if you have enough sustain, you can sort of, you know, in theory, you can do like a whole sort of scale with, you know, stuff like that. That's great. Or, mel you know, uh, harmonic, harped harmonic melodies, I guess. I guess in theory, you could tap them as well, you know, to do the... It's not something I do a lot of, it's just when I'm, you know, mucking around and just trying to get some interesting sounds out of the guitar. Yeah, man. So, God, you know, speaking of mucking around, that's why, that's what I love about your playing. You walk into the room at MI or something, or yeah, just, you just muck around for a second, I'm like, damn, dude's right. got some tone in his fingers. <laughs> Seriously. I try. I, I love try. your playing. And then, of course, I also wanted to get you on the show because you... I've been touring with one of my favorite bands of all time, even though there's only two original members left, but we'll get to that. Tell me about that that kind of like, I would just say, Indian-sounding piece or Middle Eastern music? Um, or where's, where did you, what inspired that whole direction? Well, I guess just trying to sort of steer away from just using the same guitar language that everyone uses, you know, and we, we all have the same 12 frets and the same, same notes and the same, you know, the same scales and what sort of determines one guy from another is kind of what they do in between those things, vibrato, sort of micro bends that sort of stuff and i guess using the slide kind of takes it even further where you basically eliminate there even being any frets so you can sort of go really into those sort of microtonal indian sort of you know um melodies and motifs um so i guess it was that i i the the longer i sort of have been playing guitar the less guitar music i've listened to and and i guess there came a point where i sort of figured out you know that I don't actually want to be a guitarist anymore. I just want to try and be a real, as good a musician as I can. And, and, and sort of in order to do that, um, I almost have to sort of weed out as much of my sort of guitar language as I can. So sort of, yeah, just experimenting on, you know, just single note melodies with the slide is something. Even, even just, you know, the purity of just playing, you know, some major scale stuff and, you know, that's yeah, kind of how it's beautiful. One of the things for me about the guitar is um, it's kind of really illogical the way we learn it in these boxes where, you know, you sort of like the piano is such an intuitive instrument by, you know, your hand goes up and the pitch goes up. Whereas guitar, right. your hand can go down, but the pitch can go up and it's sort of confusing. So you learn these boxes that don't really bear much uh, relevance to what you're actually hearing. So I always try and, you know, if people ask me about sort of improvising, I always kind of stress learning sort of 
how your scales look in a linear fashion. And then there's no kind of better way of doing that than right. doing it with a slide, you know. Or a theremin, maybe. Or a theremin, Ex- exactly. <laughs> you turn the, same the guitar thing. into a theremin. It's, it really is just the same principle, yeah, just minus the string. And just try and get the really, yeah. try and get really good um, accuracy on, on, on those intervals. You know, and, um, and then that way you're actually yeah. physically seeing the, the intervals right in front of your eyes. And it's a yeah. great way to learn. To, you're you seeing know. the pattern, the whole, whole half. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Whole, yeah. The whole, or, you whole know. half. <laughs> or changing it. Or your, you know, yeah. whatever your Dorian are. And you have that guitar tuned down to like C sharp major or something. Yeah, so I have this guitar, exactly, C sharp, open C sharp major. Um, and the reason I have this guitar tuned like this. Um, oh. Actually, this is, my, this is my first guitar. I got this when I was 10 years old and it was built, built for me by my godfather, who's a really um, great um, blues musician in the UK. Oh, yeah. and what's, I, it, what's his name? Uh, Tim Aves. He plays in a band called Wolfpack. Um, my older brother is a great bass player who uh, plays bass in that band and they just play uh, uh, Howling Wolf covers just old sort of blues stuff so he built this for me when I was 10 and it started out life as a Stevie Ray Vaughan Strat you, you can see it has the left handed trim there right right the bars um, up on top yeah and originally it had the, the black pit guard with you know my OTB my initials on there and um, I kind of spent like probably the first five or six years just learning to play on this guitar and uh one point i had tommy shannon nice and, uh chris Stevie. layton sign it when i met them in london uh and stevie then I, ray Vaughan rhythm section exactly I yeah saw double them trouble when I was 13 14 yeah. with stevie of course wow <laughs> yeah uh yeah i never saw them with stevie but i saw them with um they're in a band called storyville with dave grissom on guitar who's a who was a big yeah. influence on my playing right now it's my open c sharp guitar and it's right. in this tuning specifically for one song I do with the Tal Wilkenfell band. Yeah. Um, and it's basically, I just play this same, this same riff all the way through. What's and, the name of that song? Uh, it's called Under the Sun. And by the end of the five minutes, basically my right hand is killing me and my thumb is all blistered. So even though it's open C sharp, uh, it would be a... Uh, the song would be an A, I think. Is that an A? Yeah, yeah. No. A sharp? A sharp, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, basically I just do I just play that same it's that same right hand pattern all the way through and then just the um just the bass note modulates. And then there came there came one point uh, in that song, on on the album recording, there's some really nice um, violin, but Indian classical style violin. And she asked me if I could, you know, try throwing some of those sort of licks in there, um, which I attempted to with the slides. Um, and then it, it evolved into me having this sort of little solo passage in the middle of the song. Um, not really, a, yeah, not really a solo passage, but like just a, I guess, a spotlight moment. And with her the one thing is always don't make it sound guitar-y um right and and she, and she really kind of 
she, she gives me a lot of direction as to what she doesn't want. And by the end of it, I'm left thinking, well, what am I left with here that I can kind of improvise with? And it's really good because it makes me think in a completely non-guitar way. Um, and that's kind of what really got me into the Indian thing was, yeah, just was just trying to just think totally outside of the guitar box. So for that, I would, I would loop the... And then for live, I just... sort of hidden springs in the back and stuff yeah so with with her it's a lot more about sort of communication and 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 setting a vibe than it is about showing off any sort of ability or anything like that and a lot of the time it's more of a group improv than a than a than an individual spotlight moment if that makes sense totally we'll just all be listening to each other so sometimes that section will go on for like 10 minutes where we're all just building and and it's and we she has this amazing drummer from israel called tamir barzaleh who's just uh, every time i play the gig with him it's different i'll just be playing and i'll turn around and he'll just have some weird crazy instrument that he's kind of picked up from his travels and just he's he's just he's just such an earthy drummer like well musician he's just just amazing and that's killer yeah and i just it's just it's amazing to me to think of you guys opening for the who in arenas right i want to get to that i'm but i'm curious you know i've known you for several years now or at least four or something like that i'll never forget walking into that club and seeing uh purple melon and you guys were so great but i'm curious how did that all how did you get to that so your dad was a musician right what part of england did you grow up in um so i'm from southeast um essex which is like the um the english equivalent of jersey i guess you'd say it's kind of you know spray tans and muscles and gelled hair um but there's uh, there's a really good blue scene in essex and i kind of grew up I, I guess I, I started playing when I was 10 and started going to these blues jams and when I was probably about 12 or something, my local blues jam in Chelmsford, Essex. And there was this other youngish guy who was about 18 and 19 there who was there every week was there with his Ibanez gem just shredding away, playing the most outrageous stuff over this blue, over these blues progressions. And, and, and it definitely annoyed a few people there, but also equally amazed a bunch of people there. And for uh, and for years and years, I would just go to this jam and just hear this guy play. His name being Guthrie Govern, ha. and and would you know get to jam with him, you know, get up on the set, you know, at the the blues jam, and it kind of it, him and and there were a few other really good um, sort of older guitar players that were sort of established blue UK blues guitarists would go to that jam as well, and it kind of set the bar really high for me at an early age and I'd go home every week just frustrated like why can't I do that I need to do that man I don't know what it is about and I still can't do that <laughs> British guys in the blues I mean I swear it's something not to generalize but right all, a lot of my favorite quote-unquote blues players the Peter Greens the yeah. David Gilmore's 
the Owen berries. Seriously. Wow. <laughs> I don't know about that. There's something in, in the water or like maybe the, you know, it's probably that produce that isn't quite ripe. It's the, the um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the pasteurization in the milk, something like that. Ah, something like that. Yeah. But so, yeah, Peter Green, for, for me, for me, there's, there, there, there is, there's never been a better blues player than Peter Green. There've been, there've been other guys that are equally as good, but he's as good as it gets. Just unbelievable. What's one of your favorite solos from him that you can think of, or is there, um, is there anything? There's a lot of kind of like live bootleg stuff. Um, you know, the early Fleetwood Mac stuff, which is really good. Um, but yeah, you just have to kind of yeah. search it out. I know. I've but just it. his tone and his phrasing and this, you know, it's it's stuff that's easily overlooked when you're younger as being, yeah, that's just simple shit. What kind of a house was it? You have guitars lying around and stuff? Not really. I, I, I was the first one to start playing and then my older brother picked up the bass probably a couple of years after me. Um, yeah. His name's Tank because he's a big, large uh, rugby playing Englishman. Um and he comes from the Donald Duck Dunn school of bass playing. He's a great bass player. Um, and we had our own bands and we kind of, you know. That's cool. Yeah. And cool. I kind of, I entered this guitar competition for this magazine when I was like 15. The guitarist magazine ended up winning that. And then off the back of that, I sort of ended up getting a few endorsements here and there. And just What did you send in to them? I sent in this song called The Mutts Nuts. <laughs> Can which you show is, me some of it? Uh, what did 15 year old... Oh, it, it is play. there on YouTube. It's on YouTube somewhere. Yeah. To I mean, be honest, I probably couldn't even play it now because right. back then I was just playing all day, every day, and technique was like, it's like. Now you got your uh, strat out. So I, so I have the same. My, my thing with my two strats is I have this Lola mini humbucker firebird right. thing. And that's kind of like my go-to sound for my guitars. and uh, In the bridge position, yeah. In the bridge position, yeah. And it kind of gives me continuity between my different guitars when they're in different tunings and stuff. It makes life a lot easier. That's, a, that's smart. That's really smart. And what I love about this pickup is it can do all the rock stuff. I mean, it can do the real kind of heavy shred stuff. I haven't got my pedal on for the, my shred sounds. Um, but it can still, it still sounds like it's with the... Um, in the same family as the single coil pickups. It's not too thick, you know. Um, so anyway, the Mutts Nuts was just kind of like this. When I guess when I first started playing, my first two big influences were Steve Ray Vaughan and Steve Vai, which were kind of polar opposites. So I kind of had this bluesy influence, but also the technical side of stuff was really important to me then. And I figured, well, I have to write something that's kind of Vi Satriani-esque to sort of stand a chance of winning this competition. So I kind of did this sort of like boogie shuffle thing. And the melody was like... Uh, something like that. And then... I can't remember something like that. Yeah, right, that's cool. Yeah, it's I know of... there was one. Uh, I know there was one lick in it where I was like, I had no idea what that was at the time, but I thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool and different. And obviously, and later on, I, I, I knew no theory yeah. of anything I was playing probably till I was mid twenties, and yeah, I just played by ear. Did you ever study formally or anything? Or 
I had I I I had um, about three lessons with this guy called Phil Hilborn. Have you heard of him? He was um, editor of some of the guitar magazines in the UK, and he'd sort of play in a trio and just shred a bunch of Vice Triani stuff. And uh, um, I later formed the band with his son, who was a great drummer. But yeah, I had three or four lessons with him, and he kind of you know taught me how to play Eruption and a few techniques. You know, nice back when I was into all the you know the <laughs> tapping stuff. Um, so he taught me that sort of stuff and then I just kind of went off with and had a couple of lessons with someone else and then a couple of lessons with someone else and, and that was about it so I had probably about eight lessons total the rest I learned from just slowing down cassette tapes really you know frustrated trying to figure out what that lick was at the end of a fade out on a song oh yeah I did some of that I remember uh, figuring out Steve Lukather at the end of Rosanna as it's fading out so right just blazing but before we go any further, man, I love your blues playing. Can we just uh, noodle on a little blues for a second? Sure. Muck about, as you might say? Yeah, let's have a laugh. <laughs> what? You could, any groove that you're let's, thinking. Let's do the key of E flat. Nah, no, joking. E flat? Nah. Nah, any key you like. Uh... Fuck. <laughs> I just love it, man. It's just a real deal. It sounds like you have a slide, and also like you're Albert King. I, I was big into the Albert King. I still am. I, I mean, I never listen to any of these guys anymore, but like when I do, I'm always reminded of how amazing they are and how many people just do it really badly. And uh, it's the last thing I, I it's the last thing I try and do is mimic people. But you know, it's, it comes out in everyone's playing. But oh, it's well, but, we are. It's all we're all built on. Everything that came before. Right, right. Even exactly. Jimi Hendrix was built on a bunch of stuff. But yeah, I was a big Albert King fan with all those, you know. And Albert, Albert Collins, you know that guy? Hell yeah. I was yeah. a big... I love it, man. Here, let me play. Let me play some rhythm for you. What kind of okay. groove? What kind of groove you want? That's uh, what for, like an Albert Collins thing. Right, anything, yeah. Right now, just, uh, just... I suppose for an Albert Collins thing, you can sort of do the you know the. Thank you. 
nice kind of Albert <laughs> Collins going into Albert King there. Oh man, I love it. It's a re- real tone you got there. What's this head you're you're using? It's like a so it's that, like a plexi, but it ain't. It's like a plex. It's like the best sounding plexi you've ever heard in your life, but with all the kind of functions and options that usually make amps sound awful. So this is the the Metropolis Metroplex. So it's basically a hundred watt um, plexi that does like a sixty eight plexi, um, a sixty six plexi, and I have it on the uh, forty five one hundred setting. So it has master volume, all the switching things, but I just love That's it. Great. To be honest, it had so many switching options, but I just set it and forget it and just do everything else from my board. I, but the right. core sound I love. Where is that made? Um, these are made near Chicago, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I was doing this run with, with that band that you like, with the two English dudes Purple that Melon? we're going to talk about oh, yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, that, and, um, those guys. Who are, who are they? Wait, I'm just, who, that was a joke. Who, who are they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> who they are. I can't explain who they are. <laughs> right. But um, but George from Metropolis hit me up and he was like, oh yeah, I see you're playing Chicago. I've got an amp. And, and we'd kind of been friends with, you know, over the internet for a long time. Yeah. And he bought me this amp to try. And I tested it out in soundcheck and I was like, wow, that's, that's the real deal. And I'd already tried his amps at, you know, the LA amp show and stuff. And I knew how good, I knew he was the plexi guy. And I plugged this thing in and I was kind of, I knew it'd be good, but I thought, well, it has all these other functions. And I was like, well, I hope it hasn't kind of like ruined it. Like the, the it has, still has the secret sauce. And I plugged it in and it sounded amazing. And after the gig, I said, you're going to have a tough time getting that back from me. And he said, yeah. well, just hang on to it for the rest of the tour. And, um, and I've still got it. And, That's uh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And he's actually building, uh, I don't know if it's going to be like the, owen barry signature model but he's building me a kt66 version sweet which is going to be even more monstrous and sort of tailored yeah. to, to what i like fantastic and and how about a quick shout out for the la amp show this place is a riot you know the nam show has gotten so big it kind of mm-hmm. lost the original spirit this is in case you guys don't know about the la amp show lonnie specter and his cohorts and a bunch of amp builders ran out an entire hotel. And noise ordinances be damned. Every room, they pull the beds out. And they, everyone's cranking. And well, there's all these great builders. They pull, I think you have, to, you have to pay more for them to pull the beds out. I think there's an extra charge for them to remove the bed. You're right. Because yeah. some, some, some of the vendors still have a bed sitting in the That's middle right, of the yeah. room. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and everyone's cranking up. And yeah, come on out to LA, folks. Bring your families. Take them to Disneyland one day. You can go there. Go to the amp show. It is pretty crazy. <laughs> Gear invasion. Bring your wife there. She'll hate it. Yeah. Or, bore her to death. Yeah. Or your husband. Or your husband. Yeah, very true. <laughs> so now, did you end up touring with some bands in your early 20s? Or what? how did you start to branch out of uh, playing um, local gigs and taking lessons and all that stuff? I, what would I do? Yeah, I, I, I was in some blues bands and I started playing blues festivals around the UK and Europe. And um, I ended up to be honest it's so long ago i can't even remember what i did <laughs> but yeah I, I was in this um sort of rock band called rush cartel for a while um but yeah i just more frequently and i ended up getting called to go up to london to do sessions and i met people and um i ended up playing in this band with this really good um scottish drummer who who now plays with don't know who plays with i think he was playing with hugh cornwall from the stranglers for a while a guy called windsor mcgilvery so anyway, he called me up and said, hey, I've just joined this band, this band um, 
and they're looking for a guitarist and do you want to come down and audition and thought yeah so i ended up going to this audition on this vineyard out in the middle of nowhere in england and i was like wow this is pretty cool they've obviously got some you know cash behind them i auditioned for them i ended up getting the gig and and that was that was purple melon and and then a couple of years later we finished our record which is um produced by a guy called paul stacy who who is um an amazing producer mix engineer but also one of the best one of my favorite hand sound guitar players oh cool and and in the process of working with him i learned i learned so much what's something you remember learning from working with him um i don't know i think the 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 people that have had the most the most impact on my guitar playing haven't been guitarists and and the way he he kind of just he never actually showed me anything in particular on the yeah. guitar it was or just I mean about recording or producing it was just or, a mindset thing it was a mindset yeah. you know during the making of that purple melon record he would um all, all four of us band members he'd have us doing different things one of us he'd be like here's a book i've just read this passage from this book and he'd be playing sort of videos of certain things to another person on YouTube. Say, hey, check this person out. And, and, and you know, I remember one day he made, he sat me down and made me watch the making of the, uh, the Exorcist movie. And wow. it was just about, you know, uh, you know, the sort of the methods that the, the, di- the director had and how, and it was a lot of um, interviews from the cast just reflecting back on the making of that. And he, he just, um, by the end of the process, he just had got all four of us on the same kind of mindset and we just, he'd filtered, made us filter out all the stuff that wasn't important. And by the end of making that record, he'd, he'd, we were, we were just a different band to the band we were when we started. Um, so I don't know whether that was just fluke or genius. <laughs> right. That's no, that's very But cool. in terms of guitar, he just opened my brain to a lot of sort of, you know, what does it mean to be a guitarist? And, um, well, it's real easy to get caught up in the chops fest and the magazine yeah. competitions and trying exactly. to pay rent and all this. And then exactly, yeah, yeah. He's a I mean, he's a phenomenal guitarist, though, Paul Stacey. And um, yeah, I just learned a lot about. I, I I was always had sort of good tones and stuff. That was one of the things I've always been thankful for. Before I could even play in tune or anything, I could always get a good sound. But he just opened my ears up to just different sounds and just different ways of playing and and just. Just a different way of thinking about music it made me appreciate music um, beyond just being, you know, up to that point, guitar was just an activity and it didn't really bear a lot of relevance to actually making music. It was, I, you know, I got my first guitar when I was 10 and it was like being handed this Rubik's cubes that, that could never be solved. It was like a puzzle. And then many years down the line, it, I was like, I can actually make music with this and I can contribute and I can actually communicate and have conversations with people. And, and a lot of that is lost on guitarists because it's, it's just an activity where you just regurgitate guitar music rather than, you know, um, contributing something that's coming from somewhere real. That's sort of irrelevant to the situation, the situation you're in, if that makes sense. Yeah. Amen, brother. Yeah. So uh, let's hear let's hear a purple melon tune. Which one should we? Um. What about ready for love?
I was just listening to those today, and the album still just sounds so great. When did that come out? Can't even remember. Probably 2012 or 2013. You act like that's so long ago. <laughs> you know what? It's... A couple of weeks ago. You know, I remember we covered you in Guitar Player Magazine yeah. about it too, which was wonderful and well deserved. So uh... after you came to see us play at that strip club, you, did you have to say it like that? Sorry, sorry. It was a uh, <laughs> it was a dancing. No, it was technically a strip club, but it was a PG-13 kind of rock band night. Right. There were Everyone was in swimsuits, including you guys. No, not including you guys. It was funny acoustics in there because there were so many mirrors, but you still sounded amazing. Even we... We were so loud. We were such a loud band. It was ridiculous. Well, and then you add all those reflective surfaces. No, no pun intended. And uh, it's really, yeah, there's a lot of highs in there. But it's When we moved out here, we were all just like 412 cabs, 100 watt heads, and just like loud. But, yeah. Oh, no, you, it sounded so great. And the yes. album sounds so great. What are you using on this song? How did you record it? Uh, ooh, I think I was using... Um, Paul, Paul introduced me to, the, to, to my favorite amp of all time um, which is the Laney Supergroup which is basically a Plexi Marshall crossed with a high watt it's sort of like the bastardized sort of child of those two and I think I used that into an old Marshall 410 cab and I just used one of his um, tele, old tellies he had he, Paul, Paul's studio is ridiculous he has just so much stuff I don't think I used any of my gear on, on the record um but that's cool. The riff for that, I was just kind of mucking around with, with this sort of shape, and it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, well, I'll just take this shape, and then I'll just put one finger up and one finger down, and I'll, oh, and then I'll just do that again, and then I'll just take it back to the major and then to the minor. So it was just a fun little thing I'd just muck around with that then became a song. I love that vibe pedal. That is, there's, you know, there's, it's not slouching on the vibe tone. It's delivering the full vibe. <laughs> that is that is the real deal. This is the Dry Bell vibe machine. It's made in Croatia. It's the only pedal they make. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, it's really... It's... Thank you. 
That sounds great. Yeah. I've been I've been trying to find the right vibe that would really fit. Some of them there is some of them are either too strong or they're too wimpy. Right. That one sounds really juicy, but I know it's probably just your fingers that are over the top. <laughs> what I love about but, this one is it's it's um it's small, but it just has it has the big it has all the low end. Sometimes I use it just for like, I use it on the other setting, you know, if I'm in a, like a session and they want sort of like a, I use it on the vibrato session, uh, setting. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, actually to be honest, of all my pedals on here, the, the, the two sort of most magical ones, I'd say, the ones that I probably couldn't replace easily would be this fuzz face, which I was just using a minute ago. Which is a fuzz face I bought from this eBay seller who just, who had a bunch of Eric Johnson's old fuzzes and he, um, that he, Eric had given him, I guess, ones he wasn't using. And he'd basically uh, reverse engineered the, his favorite ones of the bunch and, uh, and sent me a few to try. And I just ended up hanging on to the one that I like the most and this is it and I've rehoused it several times and gradually made it in a smaller and smaller box and I've added a, an input level gain as well which really helps you know you know how you sort of with a fuzz face you this, usually you have to sort of back the volume off a little bit otherwise it's just too gnarly so like yeah. and then you get all this sort of unwanted noise when you turn your volume down right so yeah, so you drop the gain on the input. Yeah. And especially as I have this humbuck on the bridge as well, it just makes it a bit less flabby. Man, you kind of sold me on the Lawler Mini humbucker. Oh, it's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> to try that out. I think this is what I was using for the slide as well. I use that fuzz for the slide stuff as well a lot. So that and my magic yeah. wah-wah as well. It looks like a Dunlop crybaby, but it does sound more... Uh, wider Q or whatever you want to say it's so real Hendrixy sounding this is a uh, it's an old 70s Italian Genoa oh, which wow, I've wow. Re rehoused and modded for true, true bypass and all so that. that's a Dunlop housing yeah it's yeah. just a crybaby housing yeah and I put a, I put a um, a chase tone uh, volume um, wah pot in there you're sneaky one Owen you're sneaky yeah I'm very particular it's good for the Stevie Ray, you know. So we'll get to some more of your pedals later if, if uh... <laughs> that sounds yeah. great. Okay, <laughs> e flat one. Also has that kind of Clapton-y 
uh, sort of vibe to it, this wire as well. That neck pickup though, what that sounds so stratty. What uh, you got going there? So these are these are Klein pickups made in Texas. They're they're my yeah. favorite strap pickups. They're so good. The other thing is I use this Janray um, pedal. Right now you're using that. Uh, it's off at the moment, but it's my favorite overdrive pedal for a strat neck pickup. It's what? I'm sorry, what's it called? Uh, it's the Vemoran Janray. You know that company? They're a Japanese company, and it's sort of like a mid-gain mid, mid um, gain overdrive. And it's just, yeah. it's just that really fat blackface Fender amp. This was me fingers. when I was. This was me when I was 16, just doing that. But you know what? You're right. That is the tone. That's yeah. the tone. Can I just hear, just for comparison, what's the clean sound that you're going into your amp without any of? I mean, they still sound great. They're great yeah. pickups. Yeah. That's All a right. neck pickup. There's like EL34s. Yeah. 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 So anyway, so let's go. Tell me, what was it like? Your band comes out to L.A., Holly Weird of right. all places. You're from England. That's got to be a little bit of culture shock to live here. Well, my Tamir, who I was talking about, the drummer, Israeli drummer earlier on, he, he knows I'm half German. So he's always said that, like, he's he, he never sort of says that he believes I'm English anyway. He's like, you're so German. So I think I never really felt like I was English living in England anyway. So it's like... When I moved here, I kind of felt more at home here than I did in England, bizarrely. Why is that? I don't know. I mean, besides the strip clubs. Besides that, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Yeah, because that's where I grew up in England, in the strip club, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, to be honest. I just I just found, found it very relaxed here. And I, I wasn't really big into the whole sort of soccer sort of culture in England and that sort of thing. I was just sort of, you know, did my own thing and just, right. you know. So I came here and it was just it was just cool. I just liked it. Yeah, you know it's a great place, California. I love it. It's hard to not like it once you get here. Yeah, and I've been here nearly nine years now, and it's home for me. And what was the arc of Purple Melon? I know you guys were flirting with a major label record deal. Everything you guys were sounding great. All this shit yeah. was happening, and then I guess you disbanded, or what? What happened? Yeah, well, basically we moved out here at the worst possible time during like the sort of economic crash and uh, no one had any money to sign to sign anyone and at that point there'd been so much money kind of put into the project that um the sort of people that were behind us were just holding out for like 
the sorts of deals sort of deals that didn't really exist anymore and we were offered some pretty good you know hefty record deals but we just kind of held out and held out and i don't know you know things just run their course and we you know certain members left and you know just disbanded and we're all still really great friends it was just one of those things you know it, bands end things end and uh and we're all just doing our own thing now somehow i've managed to stay out here and make you know earn a living just playing guitar you know yeah. well well deservedly thank I must you say. and um what who which artists did you play with around town before you uh, joined tal's band um to be honest it was mainly sort of um sort of studio sessions yeah. um I was touring with this band called The Ceremonies that were on Capitol Records for a while. Um, I did a couple of US tours with them. Um, Didn't you go to Australia and stuff? And yeah, I went to... for Aerosmith or yeah, some big Van Halen? You see, I'd forgotten even all about that. It's, it's, I just remember the second. It's bizarre because I'm always just thinking forward about the next gig, the next session, the next thing. And it's like, as soon as I've done the thing, I just kind of... I should really have like a like a, C, a CV of my work that I've done, but I just forget it. Yeah, I went to Australia and with this band called Illumination Road and opened up for um, Aerosmith and Van Halen, which was pretty cool. So that must have been a rather large stage. Yeah, yeah. The stadium was about 80,000 people. Um, it rained continuously the whole week leading up to the gig so gradually the stage got moved moved further and further forward in the arena and i think when it came to it we only ended up playing to about four thousand people or something pathetic like that you mean a lot of people didn't show up for the festival or it was just early in the day um both but to be fair there wasn't a big crowd i mean we weren't that early in the day but there wasn't like a big crowd even for the headliners it was just torrential rain yeah that's hardcore but it was cool yeah just kind of Odds, odds and ends, just like, you know, I've done a few sort of TV commercial sessions, played on a few uh, yeah. albums here and there. Um, I was, I did a spot of teaching at Musicians Institute for a while. I do happen to recall that. <laughs> which I, which I, bizarrely, I had no, I'd never done any teaching before and I bizarrely found it really enjoyable. Like, I had no idea that I'd enjoy helping people you know there's there's it was it yeah. was really i learned actually a lot about myself doing that it was really cool but yeah i yeah. still go there now and do um open counseling and to be honest that's great all the, all the information about guitar it's all on the internet and it's all out there so most of my open counselings i just there, there's no point in me trying to show those you know half those guys there can shred their asses off way better than i can i just kind of just try and talk about my real sort of world experience also, i mean and, isn't there something lacking though when someone's learning from a video that doesn't react back? There's some you hear a great yeah. tone, great guitar player in your room. That's very true. Yeah. I don't you may not realize the impact you have when you play a few licks for yeah. a student who learned off YouTube. It's bizarre because you I I always think like you always no matter how what level you progress at, you you always see yourself at zero. Does that make sense? Like so like you always take it for granted that well everyone can do what i do sort of thing well that's the beautiful part yeah. otherwise it would get boring <laughs> yeah i way I, yeah uh, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that are just like have the same opinion as me that everyone's rubbish including including myself everyone's rubbish and it's just frustrating that there's not more people that are just like better that just like and they i'm not sure i follow because uh, <laughs> i to I me know. everyone's great there's yeah. all these great players Maybe everywhere. I'm. Maybe I'm just a grumpy old man. I don't know. 
Uh, well, you know, I mean, finding that place, the magic between the rubbish and the, and the treasure, it keeps you going. I guess so. everyone's rubbish, including myself, but people have, there, there are definitely mag- magic moments that they have, for sure. Well, there's just always this eternal opportunity to rise from the rubbish. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. To rise you know out of that rubbish bin, as you guys would say, out of the, uh, what do they call it? Rubbish lorries? The, oh, what do they call it? <laughs> um, Gar- 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 I don't know. I've lived here so long. Gar- it's not garbage truck, is it? It's rubbish. I mean, I played so many towns in England. I plus have played like 25 different cities. I, I always have a blast out there. Now, um, you covered Is there anything more about Purple Melon? I mean, I could do another Purple Melon riff, which was quite cool. I love all those riffs, man. Sure. You, you pick and choose. Go be my guest. So I'll do one of the open G riffs. Oh, so now you're busting out that telly over in the corner. You win the prize, by the way, as far as showing up at a location. You brought three guitars. No other guest has brought three to this interview. Just in session mode, aren't I? I don't. I can't afford my own cartridge, so I'm just <laughs> just used to lugging all my own gear every, everywhere I go. Um, so this is my most recent guitar that I built. I built my own guitars, by the way, um, just because it works out cheaper. Well, not just because it works out cheaper. It works out you just end up with exactly what you want. Or or for me, anyway. So this is a um, a 50s telly body, and the rest is only about a year and a half old. So the body's actual fender. What about the neck? I know you have the fender decal on there, but is that actually... Or am I prying too deeply? Uh, no comment. <laughs> so the neck was made for me, and uh, this decal fell on it, and, 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 it and it stayed there. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we um, one of the songs on our album is this song called Princess Peach, which is kind of a southern rock inspired song, and um, I just came up with this riff. Well, there are a couple of riffs in it actually. Then he goes into this other riff, which is like. Obviously, it's been a, a few years since I've played these songs. Oh, but it sounds great, man. They were always... That, that one, we'd, we'd both play in unison, Tom and I. Um, Tom being the other guitarist and lead singer in Purple Melon. be playing it on his Jeff Beck Stratocaster which was a gift from Jeff himself damn it was I'm holding the Jeff Beck Stratocaster with the warmth neck nice but uh yeah that, Tom I can't um, say that this is a gift from a friend I should say it's on extended loan but that friend isn't one of the world's, world's greatest <laughs> most famous guitarist that's insane yeah that was crazy actually because yeah I was big into this Stevie Ray Vaughan thing and I was probably about 16 or 17 when I am so grateful that I heard Jeff Beck play because then I was like, wow, there's something else. There's, there's more than Steve Ray Vaughan and Steve Vai. It was like, I was, um, 
I don't know what that is, but that sounds amazing. What the hell is that? And it was Jeff Beck. I heard he's playing on the Paul Rogers Muddy Waters um, tribute album. And from that point on, I was just like, wow, this guy is something else. And I kind of, I didn't, I mean, I didn't study how he played it. Just, I just naturally evolved into his playing coming out in sort of my style, I guess. And I'd been a massive fan of his for years. And then I joined this band Purple Melon. And, um, and it turns out that Tom, the lead singer, his dad was best friends with Jeff Beck. And, you know, I ended up hanging out with him a couple of times. Then he came to Purple Melon shows and stuff and sort of. You guys all know each other out there. In we do, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a very small island. Um, so that was really cool, yeah. yeah. And yeah, and he, that's why he ended up, he had this prototype sort of serial number seven Jeff Beck strat that he played. That's killer. But it was a lot of fun. We, yeah, playing those riffs in the, you know, unison. Um, it yeah, was a really fun band, the Purple Melon thing, and the songs were really enjoyable to play in. Totally. I loved them, and you had the great background vocals and harmonies. Right. And they were, yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. a big sort of queen, queen influence there as well. One-stop shopping, I swear, yeah. everything. It's funny, though, because it's so far removed from anything I do now. And, and it took me a while to get any other sort of work as well, because I was kind of, you know, anyone who knew me was like, you know, I'm wearing those sort of bell-bottom flare, flare pants, you know, trousers, and I'm playing like this old 60s SG into a vintage Marshall. And then so I wouldn't really get any gigs and and gradually, you know, I, you know, work sort of picked up. I'd sort of start getting called for different sessions and they're like, oh, you can do that. Oh, you can play some sort of Americana and country stuff and blues and rock and that sort of stuff. So That you can. Now, how did Tal find out about you? How did you end up playing in Tal Wilkenfeld's band? So that's a good question. The short answer is that I was recommended to her by Jeff Beck and, you know, Tim LaFay? Um, yeah. Yeah. Ama- an amazing bass player plays with um, Wayne Krantz. Could you back up a second? Did sure. you, you were recommended by who was the first guy? Jeff Beck. Jeff Beck. Jeff, Jeff Beck. Beck. Well, that's what she tells me. <laughs> that's what she tells me. That's crazy. So, yeah, Jeff Beck and Tim LaFay. And that's kind of, that was kind of cool. I'd, I'd met. How her. did Jeff Beck? Had he seen your band be- play before? Well, yeah, Jeff. Jeff had come to see Purple Melon um, because he was friends with Tom, the lead singer's dad. Right. right. Um, and I'd yeah, I'd hung out with Jeff a couple of times, and then he came to a couple of our shows, and he'd seen me play, I guess. And he came up to me. I remember he came up to me after the first time he saw me play, and he was like, he was looking at my pedal board, and he was like, oh, "That's a lot of stuff there." It's, and I was like, do you enjoy the gig? And he was like, yeah, it was good. Too many notes, too many notes. But if you've got it, flaunt it. That's what he said. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. I, may have cool. played, I may have played a few extra notes that night just because Jeff was there, I guess. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and then I guess, you know, I, a few years later, Tal had asked him, you know, I'm looking for a guitar player. And he remembered me from then and just recommended me. And, and Tim LaFay had also recommended me as well so i get this phone call from her she's like hey um i'd already met her before but she didn't remember me i don't think she said hey i'm getting together with this drummer at swing house just for a jam today um tim lefay recommended me i'm looking for a guitarist i wanted if you want a jam i was like yeah well this is cool definitely it's like jeff beck's my hero i'd love to go and sort of jam with her it'd be awesome so I turn up at Swing House and I walk in there with my, you know, my laney head and my strap. I open the door and there's this sort of big drum kit and behind it is Vinnie Coluta and then there's Tal and I'm like, okay, so I guess I'm, um, I guess I'm playing Jeff Beck today. <laughs> Holy shit. I guess I'm standing in Jeff's shoes and, uh, but you know what? It was, 
Was Vinny in, in the Tal band? I know, obviously, he played with Jeff Beck a bunch. Yeah, the first, the first run of shows I did with Tal um, was with Vinny on drums. And, and we'd jam a lot at his, you know, you know, just for fun in between while she was looking for drummers or even when she was writing stuff for the album, we'd just get together and jam. So that was kind of cool for me. Are um, you on the album? Of, or uh, I don't know what no, the album she, is like. The album's coming out in... Um, next year sometime and it's very different from anything she's known for it's kind of sort of singer songwriter rock stuff and she plays a lot of guitar on the record um it's definitely not a jazz fusion thing but yeah that was cool and you know what it was like it was one of the most you'd think it'd be nerve-wracking but it was one of the most laid back and f- and fun jamming just walking into that room and playing with vinnie galuda and tal wilkenfeld yeah you, you know bizarrely you'd think oh yeah you'd just be nervous to even play anything but i felt so relaxed with them and it was so comfortable playing with them and uh, and and when you know when i i went home to my wife and she was like oh yeah how did it go what was it like i just said it was so much fun and the only kind of analogy i could think of it was it was just like three kids just in playing in a sandpit just chucking you know just having fun what were you, what were you the, guys playing we were just jamming on stuff and there was no there were no kind of limits or, or any kind of I didn't feel any pressure to have to play anyway spontaneous jams it was or? just it was just all in the moment yeah just spontaneous jams and it was just fun and it was really and it was just like it was just there was just like an open channel of communication between the three of us and I was like wow this is amazing well I mean it's so cool that the who would have this kind of music open I'm not completely familiar with what right. Tal does on a on a you know 45 minute set but how did they end up hiring you guys to do this big tour well firstly firstly it's very different it's not a, a jazz fusion thing whatsoever and and any like i said earlier any solos are kind of like a group sort of thing it's very kind of but even the thing you showed us way earlier with the little loop right right you know, it's, kind of, it's hard yeah. to picture that on an arena stage opening for the who i mean it's beautiful to picture yeah. that opening for the no who. it works it works really well some of the songs are more kind of upbeat it works really well but um so i guess she she knew pete um through jeff or just through just through being one of the best bass players in the world i guess you just know oh, people. Yeah. her reputation precedes her yeah work. yeah i mean her phone book is just ridiculous um and i guess he was just curious to hear what she was up to so she sent him a few of the tracks from the the record which isn't out yet and um and he loved it and then the next thing we knew we were on the road with them for that's great a few months so tell me about your first gig opening for the who where was it what was soundcheck uh, like? Gosh, <laughs> I think it may have been in Detroit, probably an arena or something. Or oh yeah, they were all they were all arenas, and they were all kind of you know ten to twenty sort of thousand arenas. Um, I think it was may- maybe Detroit was the first show, and uh, yeah, it was great. The, the whole crew were really nice. The band were really nice, and I we I remember seeing seeing the guys from the Who soundcheck. They do like a VIP early sound check, and I knew they were going to be great. But I, I was, it was beyond my expectations how on it they were. They they were sounding so good. And Those Pete, songs. Town, Pete Townsend's guitar sound was just crazy. Yeah, he's just got that thing, you know. And uh, I saw them when I was thirteen again that same year. It was a big year for me. <laughs> and uh, they didn't have Keith Moon, but they were they had three of them. And now they're you know I was kind of skeptical because there's only two of them left. But I saw this video of them in Hyde Park. I was on the plane. It was one of the options. 
Right. And it, it was a, it was really emotional to see all those songs. They sounded incredible in yeah. front of like 80,000 people at a free concert in London or something. Or totally. maybe it wasn't free. I don't know. I mean, he, he, Pete is just such a strong guitar player. He's just, his, his rhythm play. I mean, his rhythm playing is what he's known for. But he's just—he's just so strong. He—he—he's. I mean, when you see them play, he's like the conductor, like Zach the drummer is like everyone's just following Pete. He's just so, you know the. Dude, I. I know. Sometimes I play that same riff at sound checks just to. Yeah. You know, and just, it's yeah, that, like, you know, it's a really simple part, but it's just the way he, no one plays it like yeah. Pete. I, yeah. I, I had this kind of, I had this thought recently <clears throat> that there are kind of three, when you're playing guitar, there's kind of like the sort of, the sort of standard process of thinking is kind of, there's what you, there's what you play in terms of, you know, the melodic content and the harmony. There's when, there's when you play it in terms of like the placement of within the beat and then there's how you play it like the nuances in the attack and stuff like that and usually that's kind of like the order of importance and then i thought well when you really stop and think about it it's kind of like and flip it the other way around and think about the most important thing being how you play it and then when you play it and then what you play is kind of the least important thing almost and that's kind of like when you think about sort of guys like jeff beck or uh you know billy gibbons and stuff like that it's not what they play it's how they play it and when they play it that are kind of above what they play almost does that make sense sort of like the importance of what what takes precedence over those and that's that's it with pete well it's like the feel of it you know yeah feels good yeah but it's like the attack and uh like you hear like you know jeff beck playing like somewhere over the rainbow just simple melody just the simple melodies Bravo. <laughs> Sim- it's like such a simple melody. That's such a great song. If anyone hasn't heard that song, it's called uh, Where Were You, right? Yeah, where Jeff were you, Beck. Yeah. Such a simple melody. And it's, and it's, the melody is the least important thing there. It's, it's when Jeff plays it, obviously I'm talking about, but it's how it's, how it's played and when it's played, it's the... the It's like about the space and and the attack, attacking the notes in the right way and playing the spaces. Yeah. So you you just run clean. Are you running through the effects loop at all, or are you just running straight into the front? I just run everything into the front. Yeah. So I, that, yeah. And what's I, your uh, verb there for that? So that is the mis- the Mr. Black Supermoon reverb, ah. which I love. It's like all all of these pedals on my board are like my go-to pedals that have just evolved into these are the ones I have to have on my board. But the Mr. Black Supermoon is so good. Um, so it's going into a completely dry. But it does, you know, you can do like a, you can get a reasonable sort of. 
sort of amp sort of sound but it does right. these crazy sort of infinite reverbs almost <laughs> yeah but that's the same pedal huh it's beautiful and now and now it now it gets weird because you can now yeah. put the modulation in there yeah That's, so that's not the tremolo, that's all just in the reverb. Sweet. Yeah. I, I use that one a lot. Yeah. Um, if I'm doing like a session where I'm sort of doing like sort of faux sort of pedal steel stuff. It's nice for that sort of stuff, you know. Actually, I'll change change to the telly for this. Good. Like on a day like today, if I just want like a just a spring reverb, I'll just use the Strymon. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
I love what's your neck pickup on that guitar? Is that a that's a that also uh, sounds great. That neck, uh, so I'm yeah, as you know, I'm really fussy. So I basically gone to the ends of the earth to find my favorite strat pickups, my favorite mini humbucker. So these pickups are uh, your telly pickups, Don Mare, you know, Don Mare pickups. He's this dude who's just been hand winding telly pickups for the last 40 years. Um, I've had Seymour, my other red telly, which I don't have here, Seymour Duncan wound me a really amazing broadcaster set, um, uh, which I love. But I, I had this set knocking around, which I tried in this, and this is like a broadcaster bridge pickup, which I love. Because it's a bit more honky, it's a bit more like a P90. <laughs> But yeah, the neck pickup's great because it's kind of um, it's, it's kind of stratty. Plan. How do you spell his name again? The pickup? Uh, Don, D O N, and then Mare, M A R E. He, he's, for me, he's just the best for uh, tele pickups. Dude, I might have to copy your style. I'm all, this is a disease interviewing right. a guy like you. Okay. It is. I need the Supermoon reverb. I need the Klein pickups for the Strat. Coincidentally, everything in this room <laughs> is for sale today. <laughs> Not. Coincidentally. Yeah. But yeah, I love this old telly. I, well, the body's old. But right. I, yeah, I just love mucking around with those funny old country bends. Oh, uh, yeah, you do a great job. Yeah, all the kind of weird ones where you're sort of like pulling against. This is kind of a cool one. For like an ending of a song. So, wait, you're obviously in the... That's a cool one as well. That's oh, like yeah. the, the Show us those two. Uh, so the first one is just uh, starts with the open A. Then you're playing the the D the E on the D string. Your first finger. Then the. Then you go. So you're basically holding this sort of chord like a. Like an E major without an yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Over A. And then you're sliding the pinky up. And then after that, you're bending the nine up to the three. Does that sound right? See, I learned that at right. MI. <laughs> Shut up. Interesting that you're bending the string down towards the floor. I would have thought you would, because you're bending the third string. Right. I don't think I yeah. could do it the other way. Right. Oh, maybe. Because then you could, yeah, I see. I think it just is easier to clamp down on the other right. shapes. And then there's the classic Jerry O'Donoghue one, which is even harder. Uh. Yeah, I've seen that one, but I've <laughs> yeah. never, I've never attempted it. So the what, the hard it's thing like about like a triple that, axle. Yeah, that's like you're kind of bending down with this. So you're taking the first, you're taking the first finger, then bending the G string at the fourth fret. Yeah. So you're bending it down so towards the floor. So it's touching the B string, and then you're catching the B string with the same finger. That's it, yeah. 
But that's yeah. that's almost the easy part. That's then you're it. adding this other bullshit. So you're gonna start off with this sort of sus. So you're in the key. This is the key of E. Uh, There's guys awesome. out there that just completely yeah. nail this stuff. Just for the record, you added the uh, third finger at the sixth fret of the fourth string. I did. It's yeah. a lot harder with the floating trem too, because the yeah. floating tremol. <laughs> and then with the open E as well. And there's this one as well. <laughs> oh, that's I love that stuff. I call that day. style of playing. This is the term that I've come up with: boneless chicken picking. Right. I like that. <laughs> it's. It's all bendy. You know what? For me, for me, licks generally kind of tend to cheese me out. And everyone's guilty of playing licks, but I think I tend to find the only time that licks don't cheese me out is country licks. Right. Good point, especially with a great tone. Why is that? Well, country licks don't cheese me out. But yeah, I, I to be honest, I rarely use those in a session. I'll, I'll use these sort of double stop ones. <laughs> Stuff, but you know. Now, um. Are you using the Vertex Boost? I'm using the Vertex Boost, yeah. Because uh, I noticed that, I know you're not going through that little hose cable coming out of your volume pedal. Very true. It's probably acting as an expression pedal to, to controlling the volume. Exactly. So, and here's the thing is, I my, my pedal board sounded great, just you know going straight through and plugged into the amp. There was a bit of signal loss and a bit of high-end loss. And then I put the Vertex Boost on my board and... Uh, and it, all of a sudden, it felt like I was plugged back into the amp again. So, and that and that's turned in the bypass mode. So I just have right. it on my board, and I just have it turned off the whole time. Yeah, I've heard a lot of similar good stories about it. And, um, but yeah, the cool thing is, I don't always use a volume pedal. But when I do use a volume pedal, I like to have it after my overdrives, but before my delays, like a lot of people do. Right. So basically, I just leave this here, in that point in the chain, and I can yeah. virtually insert my volume pedal. And, uh, by plugging in. We wouldn't have time for you to explain every pedal. <laughs> no. But would you mind just just listing real quickly all your pedals, starting with looks like an Ernie Ball volume pedal, and then you got the, uh, of course, the modded Wawa pedal you mentioned. You have the modded Fuzz pedal. Well, here's the thing, yeah. is all of these pedals would be pointless unless I had really good power and switching, yeah. which is supplies, supplied by my good friend Daniel at GigRig in uh, GigRig.com, thegigrig.com in England um, and he makes this thing called the G2 which is like the best sort of big all switcher. singing dancing switcher yeah but I really love their power supply stuff it's a modular thing and you can expand it to exactly what you want and it's really quiet um, and I use their virtual batteries on my fuzzes and my wah pedals so yeah so anyway the signal chain go I go into this old um, 70s Gen wah, then into the Polytune Mini and then from that I go into the Gig Rig Quartermaster so what's cool about this is I can use it as a regular true bypass looper or I can use it in, I can program it so I can just flip flop from one to another. So I just have a one sound to another. So I don't have to turn one off and then one on. I can just, as you can right. just. And you have four buttons. Each one of those goes through a few so, different pedals maybe. Yeah. So, so button one is going to my yeah. first face. Well, sorry. Button one is going to my vibe. <laughs> Button one is going to my vibe. 
And I've got that so I can switch that on top of any of the other three. Button two is the fuzz face. Uh, button three is... Button three is going to the... It's like a plexi style pedal. I know I'm already using a plexi amp, so it seems weird running it into a, a plexi pedal, but uh-huh. I usually use a two amp setup. I use yeah. the Victoria uh, Golden Melody. So I use that to go into both the amps. So it's kind of higher gain stuff. And I like it because it's not too smooth. It's still a little bit nasty. Then the next one is um, the next loop. I go into this Rocky repaired amp, Clon, which is a Clon clone, which I really like. Um, nice. I have that in a loop with the Janray. If you don't, this is for me. It's the best. It's the only one that sounds like a real Clon. So yeah, I I'm just sold. <laughs> I just, yeah, it's great. And they're like 160 bucks or something. They're the only ones that have that real 3D sort of thing that a real clone has. So good. Um, But yeah, so I just use that just to push the other pedal. So I'll have this. from there into the vertex boost vertex boost into the vertex chorus sometimes I have the boss VB2 there as well I don't use this one a lot sometimes I'll just sometimes I'll just use it for sort of organism stuff and then into my favorite delay pedal which is the analog man ardx20 i love this pedal there's so many great great delay pedals why, why is this one special um uh, it just doesn't get in the way and it's just so kind of warm sounding it's almost it's kind of it's it's very like sort of a tape echo almost It just doesn't get in the way, even when I have the Beautiful. mix set up really high like that. And it, um, and you can really smash the front end of it, and it still sounds great. cane the front end and it's still good Uh, and then from there Strymon Flint which I use for a bit of reverb sometimes and tremolo and then the next spot I have the TC looper ditto right super moon reverb and then out to the amp very cool and then uh, 
Do you use Velcro or how are you attaching most of your pedals? I use uh, that dual lock stuff. Yeah, so the it's, heavy grade. Velcro. Yeah. It's like plastic. It's like Lego almost. <laughs> so if people want to find out more about you or what, what's a good way? Or do you have your own music coming out or what, what do you do? Uh, oh, you're a mystery to me still, even after hanging out with you for an hour. I know. It's bizarre, isn't it? You know what? The answer t- it's strange because it's like, you know, guitar, guitar is just, you know, something I do from time to, you know, it's what I do for a living, but it's not like kind of, and I really enjoy playing, but when I'm not working, I never play guitar, like hardly ever. And it's just, you know, I'm just I have not a feeling you're building some guitars or doing some stuff. You know what I do have? I have, uh, you know, exotic, they're making some really good guitars and they're building me one at the moment, which I'm really excited about. Um, so I build, I build my own guitars and I'm really particular about them. And I, about six months ago, I picked up one of their new guitars they're making. And I was like, wow, this feels like really familiar, like one of mine. And then I got to talking with them and now they're in the process of building me one. They're kind yeah. of like, you know, vintage yeah, Strat style ones. You wouldn't be the first uh, guest I've been fortunate enough to have right. on here. That, like, you know, Alan Hines uses them. Uh, Dean, so you know Dean all about Brown. it. Uh, yeah, I've played some of them myself. They're, they're great. And their pickups are really good. They're really good, their strap pickups. Wow, this is a, that's impressive coming from you, who pretty much builds all your guitars. Yeah, from I'm really particular, and you know, I, you know, it's the same for you. If you know, if you took every free guitar that you were offered, you'd have a house full of guitars that you never used. And I'd rather just have less stuff, and it all be stuff that I really like. And um, mm. and this was like the first guitar I p- played, and I was like, this feels like a really like well put together, really good sounding, and just comfortable. It just felt like a guitar that had been played a lot and yeah they're doing they're doing something really good over there so does tal have stuff coming up or what do you what's what's on your calendar that you i'm not sure what you know what's Uh, the future (laughs) who knows when you're a guitar player exactly very good question um flipping burgers at mcdonald's for me probably i don't know guthrie did that so he did he did um yeah more touring with tal in the new year um she's going to be releasing her record around march i think um so yeah just that's great man. yeah and um potentially more stuff with the who as well fantastic do you ever rub elbows with pete townsend or happened? yeah what what was it like hanging out with well, the rock god you I know mean, it's old hat for you with jeff the, beck and everything the funny thing so i did those two months on the road with with them and he was using his strats with the single coil pickups and the sort of acoustic mm-hmm. thing and i'd and i'd been using this on the road for for every night for the whole run your strat with the uh, mini with the with, the, with mini. the mini in the bridge so then we did we did a one-off show with them um about a month ago at the santa barbara bowl um i guess they were doing a warm-up show for the desert trip thing and after this after we'd finished playing i walked past his guitar rack and he had like four guitars in there two of them were strats with mini humbuckers at the bridge coincidence that, that weren't there at the last tour coincidence uh, yeah. Yeah. i think somebody was watching you from the monitor desk yeah, maybe um, but yeah, I chatted with him briefly a few times. He was, he was really cool. Then Roger was great. They were, they were just really, really great. Yeah, that's cool. I, got, I had once played on the same bill with uh, John Entwistle. Oh, wow. I got to meet him. I think I was more thrilled to meet him than he was to meet me, but it was still a very right. nice moment. Right. Or maybe he couldn't really hear what I was saying. I'm not <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think maybe just too many people came up to him that day. It's funny when you meet people. A lot of the times, the people that you're that I, for me personally, that I kind of geek out most about aren't guitar players. They'll be sort of like drummers or. or oh yeah. You, you know what I mean? Cause oh, dude. If I ever met Joe Montana, that's you know, right. 
yeah not even a musician yeah exactly exactly you know, or to me like amazing stand-up comedians like that they're like aliens to me like yeah. how do you do that it's because yeah and i guess it's because anything that you see or hear on this instrument in a way you can quantify even if you can't do it you can quantify it like right. you know alan holdsworth is like just blows your mind but you're like okay i can i can quantify like what's going on there even though i can't yeah. do it but if you meet someone who's just like you know like roger federer or something who's just you know and he's just like i I'm, I suck at tennis and I, I have no idea how they do that or, or a great right, artist exactly. or, or an amazing chef or something like that well man thank you so much for uh, hanging out Cheers. and playing it's uh, I just I, I can't explain how much fun I have doing this and sitting down with a great player like yourself oh and thank like, you mate likewise an unforgettable experience such great tone and and uh, attention to detail so I appreciate it how can people follow you or uh, I guess you can Check find it. me on Instagram, Owen Guitars, or I have a uh, there's a Owen Barry Facebook page. Cool. You can find me on there. But yeah, thanks so much for having me on here. Awesome. It's a real honor because you know the other guys you have on here are legit. <laughs> As legit. are you, man, uh, and you know, no guitar is safe, especially very legit guitars. They're really unsafe, such as yourself. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Let's take out with a quick little uh, jam. What do you want to play? Fade out. Uh, giant steps 200 BP okay joke <laughs> I'm gonna do it with slide guitar where were you sorry I, that, that was all I had already started that was the improv oh you, you played it so fast you were already done exactly uh, let's jam on something then what we're we gonna do I don't know maybe I'll start some there's this this boss DD500 has a cool uh, Terra Echo setting fade it out cool I'm down for that
Are you ready for some Dumbo? Okay, sorry about that, but it, it is football season. Now, for me, the most mind-boggling gear moment of this interview you just heard was before we even started recording, we were setting up, Owen had already brought in his amp, his head, his big pedal board, which he actually says is his smaller pedal board, and his three guitars. And I'm like unfurling mic cables or whatever. And he comes in and plops this amp, a combo amp, right in front of me and says, oh, by the way, I brought you something to play through as well. And I'm thinking, oh, you didn't have to do that. And then, whoa, before I can even get the words out of my mouth, I realize I'm looking at a Dumble Overdrive special. Holy shit. So that was pretty hilarious. I actually didn't end up playing it. You're about to hear Owen playing some slide through it. Sounds so good. But yeah, the story is that, you know, he has this friend, a guy he's done some gigs with, a guy with a great amp collection, a guy who obviously believes in Owen's playing. And uh, I'm sure they'll be doing more and more stuff in the future. Anyway, this guy is the world-famous rock and roller, Jackson Brown. Jackson lends him stuff. Owen gets to borrow stuff sometimes just because Jackson wants him to check it out. How cool is that? But we already knew Jackson Brown was cool because he's very famous in guitar gear circles for lending a Dumble, a different Dumble, to Stevie Ray Vaughan for Stevie's debut album, which in my opinion, in my humble opinion, I think is the best one. It's Texas Flood. Yeah, for Texas Flood, Stevie borrowed a Dumble from Jackson. So this is a super cool little thing. Ironically, I forgot to even plug into it, but at the very end, I'm like, holy shit, we got to plug in the Dumble, got to plug in the Dumble. And so we did. And this is, uh, you're about to hear, after a couple thank yous, this Dumble as we fade out into the sunset. Quick thank you to Guitar Player Magazine, guitarplayer.com. Please extend your subscription or buy a year of Guitar Player Magazine for just $5. That is a steal, and it's just for you. Head to guitarplayer.com slash N-G-I-S, as in no guitar is safe. I'll put pictures of this gear up and all this other stuff, videos. Thanks to Zoom for the H6 recorder. And of course, keep it alive till you're 95. Thank you, Owen, for this great interview. All right, let's 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 take it out, everybody. Here's Owen playing some slide through. Apparently, Alexander Dumble's number four or five Overdrive Supreme that he ever built. <laughs> Yeah.